Hello, listeners, and welcome to the first episode of the Always Drive podcast. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm so excited to launch something that has been kicking around upstairs in my brain for a long time now. If you haven't read the Always Drive blog or it's been a while since you've seen a post, the general goal of the site is to celebrate cars, trucks, bikes, whatever gets your proverbial motor racing, uh, cover the latest news, and share some interesting stories about the joys of motoring. I try not to take myself too seriously. Uh, life is too short not to. So I hope you'll have some fun and enjoy what you hear. Uh, for this week, I've carefully crafted a show for you, listeners, but the format is much like whether or not we'll uh, ever see a mid-engine Corvette up in the air. So please, please let me know your feedback and what worked and what didn't. With that, it's been a huge week for cars with both CES and the Detroit Auto Show, so let's jump right into the news. Tech company Harman this week performed what they called the world's first live car hack at CES to demonstrate their new software that aims to protect increasingly connected cars against hackers. Uh, they said that in some countries, 59% of car buyers are actively afraid of their car being hacked at some point, probably because they're still working on their karaoke, all right, and singing Mariah Carey's Butterfly is like way harder than you think. No wonder she lip syncs. Uh, what we should probably worry about is Vladimir Putin hacking into our stereos and relaying some salacious fake news, something like... Uh, this is news update. Brad Pitt has killed Angelina Jolie and married Hillary Clinton. Also, Lada Neva is best car and drink more vodka. In other news, the Honda Odyssey has been recalled. And uh, this one is not for an airbag issue, so Takata's in the clear there. The rear seats have this neat trick where, during a crash, instead of restraining their occupants, they can launch them uncontrollably forward providing a fun, albeit brief, jolt of excitement to the backseat passengers, as well as a lovely bit of whiplash to the driver and front passenger. Uh, somewhat understandably, more than 600,000 vehicles have been recalled, so if you have one, go get it fixed. Uh, Kelly Blue Book is predicting that Americans will buy 17.3 million new cars in 2017, which is down slightly from 17.5 million in 2016, which echoes several industry analysts' forecasts that the U.S. has reached peak car and sales have plateaued. Based on my daily commute, I would agree that we've reached peak car, but I'm sure drivers will continue texting, Instagramming, and tweeting behind the wheel, and subsequently plowing into one another, keeping the market at near record levels. Automakers will look to find that automotive Viagra to stimulate a flaccid market, offering more incentive like thousands of dollars off or texting salacious photos of their available undercarriage to potential buyers. Volkswagen and Ford, uh, in other news, have confirmed that they will start baking Amazon's virtual assistant Alexa into their infotainment systems, which will be great for placing orders for new electrical parts for your Volkswagen from your Volkswagen. I have a couple Echo Dots at home, which are uh, great and can help me do things like turn on the lights in my bedroom before heading upstairs. I, I think the utility in a car will probably be a little bit different, but at least you'll get to feel like David Hasselhoff every time you have a conversation with your Beetle, which is to say old, weird, and more popular in Germany. 
Perpetual underachiever Tesla is making its parents proud for once by actually meeting the goal of starting to pump out lithium-ion batteries at its gigafactory at the former Numi site in California. This production will be critical to producing their home energy storage solutions and batteries for the Model 3, which Tesla hopes to produce 500,000 of next year. In the words of the renowned auto industry analyst Wayne Campbell, Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. <clears throat> In more believable news, Rolls-Royce sold a record 4,011 vehicles last year, which in no way reflects a growing income disparity and the widening gap between the world's rich and poor, which will in no way become worsened by the isolationist policies that promise to cut taxes for the exact demographic that will be able to afford Rolls-Royces. Let's all just ignore this and move on. Because this week, um, if you've caught the whiff of something in the air, that's not my cologne. That's the sweet scent of fresh glue, plastic, and imitation leather from all the new cars announced recently. We're hot on the heels of the Consumer Electronics Show and halfway through the Detroit Auto Show. So let's kick off the auto show season with a look at what new cars are on the horizon. First up, from everyone's slinger of beige vehicles comes the new Toyota Camry, which would immediately be mocked to death normally, but holy hell, this thing actually looks kind of insane. There are crazy angles everywhere and a legitimately cool interior that doesn't look like it belongs either in a cab or a rental car. Uh, is Toyota actually trying to appeal to a younger audience? You know, that same one that isn't buying cars because the boomers keep saying all we want to do is ride public transportation and rest on our laurels while they do all the work. Uh, this is going to end up one of two ways. Millennials will actually like it and forego the crossovers their parents are buying in favor of a sedan to take their friends to music festivals and fair trade markets. Or Toyota will have turned off buyers so much that they'll have to pull an about-face in two years and introduce the beigest ever Camry, not with extra beige, to get older buyers back in the door. It'll be interesting, but I like that Toyota isn't just turning out the same old plastic cladding. I think it really bodes well for their future, especially with the new Supra that's supposed to be announced soon. Next up is the Kia Stinger GT. Look out, the Germans! The Kia Stinger GT is here to eat your lunches and take your women! A twin-turbo V6 coupe bastardization sedan mixture thingy with 365 horsepower that's basically a new Hyundai Genesis sedan with less rear headroom sure sounds like a great idea when you consider how well the Genesis sold. Uh, oh, wait, it didn't. Um, anyway, the obvious joke here is on Kia reliability and... Hey guys, remember the Sedona and the Rio? Ha, <laughs> what pieces of shit, right? But the truth of the matter is that Kia's reliability is right up there with its sister brand Hyundai now, and they're in the top 10 among all car manufacturers. Sure, this car will lack the social grandstanding of driving around in something with a three-pointed star, four interlocked wings, or a weird Bavarian flag-style circle, but the reality is it'll blow the doors off anything that isn't an AMG, RS, or M car from those brands, and probably last a lot longer, too. I drove a V8 Genesis recently, and the power was there, though the handling sucked, and the car just sort of lacked a character. Uh, it was well-executed, but it wasn't exciting, which is, I think, where both Hyundai and Kia have some ground to make up. I'll be the first to point and laugh when the Kias constantly have turbo issues, as my best friend's Kia perpetually had, 
but I'm actually pulling for them here. Next up, we have the Chrysler Portal concept, which is made by taking one part Tesla Model X, one part building scaffolding, and probably 1,000 parts shy of having everything that actually needs to work properly because it's a Chrysler. Uh, I guess the Consumer Electronics Show might as well be part of an auto show now, given how inseparable technology is from cars. And uh, indeed, tech is integral to the new Chrysler Portal. It's all electric, semi-autonomous, with three different flavors of autonomy, allowing you to pick the rate at which you allow the machines to take over and kill us all. Uh, it's apparently targeted at millennials, who until just recently were being driven around the suburbs by their mom in a Dodge Grand Caravan and are terrified of actually learning to drive entirely by themselves. Apparently the future is all about ride-sharing and living in the big city where you don't need a car, so the Chrysler Portal will be a perfect transition for millennials. They'll buy this thing, own it until it starts falling apart in two years, then sell it and swear off cars forever because they just break down on you. Why would you even bother? My bike can go just as fast as your car can in the city anyways. Huh. Uh, in more exciting news, the McLaren has sort of unveiled the successor to the MP4-12C or uh, 650S or, or whatever it's called now. Uh, and, and the new car is called, codenamed the P14, which sounds more like a battleship attack than a car name. Uh, it's going to be lighter and faster and probably uglier than the previous generation, as the current theme among supercar makers. What's really interesting about the P14, though, is the way that McLaren is releasing information. Rather than a really dark photo of a wing mirror or a taillight or a silhouette, they released a brightly lit image of the entire chassis, or as they call it, the Mono Cage 2. As far as I'm aware, this is the first instance of a car maker ever being accurately called a monocoque tease. More relevant to probably everyone is the announcement of the new hybrid Mustang and hybrid F-150. This sort of had a feeling of inevitability to it, didn't it? You know, the world's best-selling vehicle every year and the world's most classic pony car. They couldn't possibly avoid the hybrid bug, and really nor should they have. The EcoBoost 150 and Mustang have already proven successful, and the next logical step to future-proof them is to hybridize them. They plan to have these on the road by 2020, so in a few years you'll have to keep your eyes peeled for F-150 hybrid drivers shouting, Hey man, you're part of the problem, not the solution! at Ram drivers while Mustang hybrid drivers rip sick burnouts, lose control, wind up wrapping their car around a tree, but then being more concerned about the tree's health. Next, the definitely totally real company Faraday Future has also debuted its definitely totally really a car, FF91, which has a definitely totally real 1,050 horsepower and speeds to a definitely totally real 60 miles an hour in 2.5 definitely totally real seconds. The actually legitimately real Tesla Model S does a slightly slower 0 to 60, makes do with less power and looks less cool, but the thing about it is, it actually exists. Perhaps Faraday Futures executives who are fleeing the company on what seems like a daily basis are figuring out that cars are like farts, and people only care if you can actually smell them. The definitely totally real company will soon be accepting your five thousands of actually real dollars for a deposit on their definitely totally real car that will definitely totally arrive next year. 
despite there not being a factory or real cars or anything or executives anymore. Anyway, uh, and one of the coolest cars to come out of CES, though, was the Divergent Blade, which is a tandem two-seater vehicle 3D printed from metal that was melted by sharks with laser beams on their heads. Uh, it looks like an honest-to-God purple Hot Wheels car that got hit with the reverse ray from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and I totally dig it. Because unlike normal concept cars, which have some new cool bit of tech to them, this seems like a totally disruptive entry into the automotive industry. Just a completely different way of manufacturing cars, which could lead to some dramatic changes in the designs cars use, because anything is theoretically now buildable. Uh, this will mean lighter weight, improved rigidity, better safety. You'll need smaller motors to propel lighter weight cars, and they'll be less complex because parts won't need so many different elements to work. Peugeot has apparently signed on to work with Divergent and its future vehicles because, of course, France is at the forefront of intelligent vehicle design all of a sudden. Uh, in related news, left is right, up is brown, uh, but I can't actually wait to see what comes of this technology. Volkswagen, uh, still doing their best impression of Neo from The Matrix, is continuing to dodge the dieselgate bullets and deflect attention onto something new and shiny. Their newest and shiniest distraction is a fifth new microbus concept. Five! That's more than four times the number of civil tweets ever issued by our incoming president, and 2.94 billion times less than the number of dollars VW has to pay for its cheating scandal. At this point, we're sort of approaching the same level of ridiculousness as the Acura NSX, which was teased for years and then beaten to the punch by the new Ford GT. I'm not sure what the equivalent of the GT will be in this case. Maybe actually like the Ford Bronco? I don't know. Oh wait, sure enough, it will totally be the new Ford Bronco, because Ford has announced that the Bronco and Ranger will be returning, and actually have set dates for their arrival. Ford's announced that both will be true body-on-frame trucks, which will be great for rolling end-over-end -end down rocky hills when the owners overestimate their off-road abilities. Uh, despite the incredible hype over some of the concepts, what we'll end up seeing is a slightly beefed-up Ford Everest, which will make it cheaper for Ford to produce, and way more disappointing for everyone hoping to see a true Wrangler competitor. We'll see both of those probably in 2020. Uh, another SUV news, Jeep has confirmed their ultra-luxury Wagoneer is officially a thing, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I grew up in a Wagoneer, and I'm excited that a whole new generation of kids will be able to experience the thrill of not knowing if your vehicle is going to be able to make it to its destination. Seriously, one time long ago before cell phones, the Wagoneer that my dad had gave up the ghost on our way home, and we had to spend the night on a pig farm. Uh, my brother, of course, was terrified of pigs after having been bitten by one a couple of years earlier, so it was really great of the Wagoneer to provide us that wonderful family experience. Uh, sure, the new Chrysler vehicles are looking nicer and nicer, and uh, a lot of that is due to Ralph Giles, who I follow on Instagram, and you totally should follow him on Instagram because he posts some really cool stuff. But you have to have some serious delusions of grandeur to think that consumers are going to want to spend a Land Rover or Audi Q8 money on a Jeep. 
Add to that the announcement that Jeep is transitioning their vehicles from stout Mercedes platforms to the quality Italian construction of Fiat platforms, and the prospect only becomes more attractive? Honestly, I'm really interested to see how this plays out, because it's not going to be good. <laughs> uh, and from Rogue One to Rogue Two, Nissan is expanding its burgeoning crossover lineup because those are the only damn cars anyone freaking buys anymore. Uh, and I'm serious about that. Last month alone, Nissan sold 40,000 Rogues. One model in one month, 40,000. The new car is actually an old Qashqai, but with a catchier, more familiar name for us dumb Americans. Uh, the compact crossovers, basically stilted hatchbacks, are the new hot thing, and the Rogue Sport will provide a not-juke version for buyers looking for a normal-looking vehicle that is in no way better than a Mazda 3 hatchback. Chevy also announced a new SUV, the Traverse, which, just like the last Traverse, will bore the piss out of people who have to write about the Traverse. You know, that's, uh, that's a little harsh. I, I actually drove the Traverse's badge-engineered sibling, the GMC Acadia, as a rental car and was pleasantly surprised by how comfortable it was and even compared it favorably to my parents' old Mercedes SUV. The new one should be even better than a 15-year-old Mercedes, I hope. It's fine. I'm, I'm still not going to buy it, but maybe I'll look forward to renting it a little more. Another SUV, uh, Audi unveiled their large, range-topping Q8 SUV in Detroit, further cementing their plans to take a larger share of the stupidly large crossover market. It's huge, has a ton of seats and a bunch of power, and it's a hybrid or something, and there's leather stitching on everything, and none of this really matters. Uh, because the type of people who buy this car are only looking at the BMW X5 and the Mercedes GL and the Infiniti Q something X as alternatives, and they're going to go with whatever their wife feels like they can park easiest. These vehicles exist because rich people get laughed out of the soccer field parking lot when they drive minivans, and because we've killed off all the cool wagons by never buying them. So the new Q8 will sell really well and be called a sales hit despite having a face that looks like it was ripped straight off of Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. If Audi is listening to this, and I hope they take my advice and have Tom Hardy voice over all the directions based in the sat-nav. How, how amazing would it be if you're trying to get to the winery for a cute little getaway with your girlfriends and all of a sudden your car blurts out, Turn left here, Janet. You may think the left is your ally. You're just turning left. I was born on the left. Molded by the left. I didn't see the right until I was already a man. Oh, and speaking of right, you missed your turn back now. Moving on to another luxury manufacturer, Dieter Zicci of Mercedes-Benz has announced that Mercedes is not content to let Bentley steal all of the NBA basketball player market with their Bentayga SUV. In fact, they're going to release a stretched version of their already stretched GLS SUV and brand it a Maybach, which will only add about another 120 grand to the already 120 grand price. I don't really have a joke for this. It's just sort of a joke in itself that these super luxury SUVs exist. Hey guys, remember when SUVs used to be in sport utility vehicle and people would actually take them off the roads to do things? Yeah, good times. 
Uh, many of my friends will know that I have a soft spot for Infinities, having owned a G35 coupe for many years and loving every minute of it. And they have a new crossover coming out that may be the only crossover I'd ever consider buying because it was built atop the G35 FM chassis. It's the successor to the EX37, and it's called the QX50. And the reason it's important and interesting is because it'll be the first vehicle to use Nissan's variable compression turbo engines. The engineering is really clever. The engine basically changes the stroke of the cylinders on demand to generate more power or achieve greater fuel efficiency. Uh, to some, this sort of tech has been like the holy grail of internal combustion motors, which makes it all the much more amazing that it took this long for it to become introduced. Unfortunately, Infiniti's Q50 hybrid, the sedan, which is the new G37 sedan, uh, <laughs> the hybrid model that is a piece of shit with unpredictable power delivery and a juddering transition between gas and electric power, uh, and nobody was more disappointed by that than me. So this VCT motor may be Nissan's stopgap until all cars inevitably transition to electric vehicles. And, I mean, reliability is yet to be tested, but if Nissan can achieve the same quality they got with their late 90s Sentras, we might be seeing these cars well into the future, just with one side of the rear bumper dragging ass down the freeway. <laughs> Meanwhile, hot on the heels of their Odyssey recall, Honda has just announced a new Odyssey, and they're pretty sure they excluded the ejector seats this time. Uh, the new Honda middle finger to third row SUVs and old school callback to a selfie-less generation is basically the same as the old one with some clever new bits. Uh, same chassis, same motor, with slightly more power, some sort of design, but with more flame surfacing, which makes door dings impossible to remove, uh, they'll start appearing in showrooms next year and in driveways of smart parents who refuse to be shamed by the fucking Q8 owners shortly thereafter. That's it for the new cars. Um, we do, unfortunately, have some obituaries to include this week. Um, first is the Mitsubishi Lancer. Um, the platform for the Lancer Evolution series of crazy turbocharged all-wheel drive cars as well as one of my favorite cars, the Evolution 6, which I grew up recklessly driving around all sorts of European racetracks and glorious standard definition through Gran Turismo 2, uh, is uh, going the way of the Dodo. Uh, the death of the Evo is sad because the WRX has no real direct competitor in the Rally Cars a Daily Driver segment anymore, but that was killed off in 2015, and I really don't think we should mourn the death of the Lancer. In a world where you can own a Civic, Corolla, Focus, Mazda 3, or even a Hyundai Elantra, why would you bother with the Lancer? It's like the automotive equivalent of the custard-filled maple-glazed donut at the gas station. Sure, you'll still get it if it's the only thing there, but you won't feel good about it later, and you'll probably leave a mess on your pants. In actually sad obituary news, the Chevy SS is also dead, which was absolutely bound to happen given poor sales and the discontinuation of manufacturing in Australia, the only country with enough balls to put a Corvette engine in a non-luxury sedan, apparently. I always smile whenever I see one of these, uh, which I do on most days because there's one in the parking garage in my office. Uh, I don't think many people got that the SS was an understated Malibu look-alike with a ton of power in addition to reasonable practicality. 
The problem with it was that its MSRP started in the high 40s without any options, putting it way out of range for many buyers who could afford the Focus ST with similar practicality and enough power for half the price. And the people who could afford it were older, probably post-kids, in full-on midlife crisis mode, and end up, ended up buying the king of midlife crisis cars, the Corvette. So we knew it wouldn't last, but we should be happy it did, and maybe keep our eye on resale values in a couple of years when the 17s are coming off leases. Another sad one here is uh, Victory Motorcycles, which closed up shop this week. Uh, I still think the Victory Hammer is one of the coolest named vehicles of all time, and a friend of mine actually owns one, and it is totally badass. Unfortunately, the brand really never made it out of the long shadow cast by Harley-Davidson and probably lost a lot of sales to the revived Indian brand, which does also make some really cool bikes. Um, for car enthusiasts out there with little frame of reference for bikes, I'll try to break it down for you. It's like if you lived in a small town and there were only Applebee's and O'Charlie's, which for the sake of our metaphor will be Harley-Davidson and every Japanese bike manufacturer lumped into one restaurant. Then a really awesome West Coast taco shop opens up offering like Korean fusion and all sorts of delicious shit that's totally just as good as, if not better than, Applebee's and O'Charlie's, but everyone else only eats at those places, so the taco shop goes out of business. It's sort of like that, so yeah, it, it sucks that Victory's gone. Uh, and now it's a time for a segment that I'm going to call our deep dive. It's uh, you know one subject that has gotten a lot of attention this week, and I wanted to take a really in-depth look at it. So here it is, your deep dive segment. Now, a metric ton of the news this past week has obsessed over Donald Trump and his threats against auto manufacturers for building cars outside of the U.S. What's sort of amazing about Donald Trump is that he's a businessman who has made a lot of money, he understands that businesses exist to make money, yet he's going after every auto manufacturer who sells in the U.S. because they don't exist to make jobs. It's just absolutely hypocrisy at its finest, and that's a word I want you to hang on to for this segment. Toyota has recently earned Trump's ire for moving their Corolla assembly from Canada to Mexico. That's the same Toyota that's invested $10 billion in the U.S. in the past five years and plans to do the same over the next five years and operates 10 plants in eight different states. Trump has threatened Toyota with big border taxes if they move the Corolla down there. But these sort of tariffs placed on small cars will eliminate the already small margin that companies make on them. And it won't be the car companies that pay the price. It'll be the U.S. consumers onto whom the price increase will be passed. Many people buy compact cars because that's what they can afford. And if they can't afford them anymore, then maybe they won't get to their own jobs because their old GMC Jimmy finally crapped out for good. It'll hurt dealerships, which employ, you guessed it, Americans. And it's not just small cars. Toyota said that the price of Camrys, which are built in Kentucky, could jump more than $1,000 just because parts are sourced from outside the U.S. Even worse off than Toyota, though, will be Nissan, which makes more than 800,000 cars in Mexico each year. In total, Japanese auto manufacturers make less than half the number of cars they make in the U.S. and Mexico. 
And although Mexican production is growing, it won't stop, no matter how much King Trump decides to levy on imports. As one Japanese auto executive put it, it's too late to turn back the clock. Even if factories return to the U.S., it wouldn't be to employ American workers. It would be to utilize robotic manufacturing and cut down on transportation costs, in addition to take advantage of tax incentives that would probably be there for them. Ford's recent decision to cancel a $1.6 billion plant in Mexico in favor of investing in an existing Michigan plant was also credited as a win for Trump. But the underlying factors behind the decision belie any real relationship to the incoming president. First, small cars aren't selling like they used to, which is what the Mexican factory would have produced. Second, the factory will be retooled to produce EVs and advanced hybrids, which echo a wider industry trend and directly fly in the face of Trump's edict to remove all environmental protection regulations on cars. It's just not going to change what cars are. Third, it was a shrewd time for Ford to make such an announcement, tacking onto the stories already swirling about regarding Mexico production, so... Real kudos to the Ford PR and marketing teams there. And, I mean, it's true that globalization has been a real bitch for many unskilled workers and skilled workers who have found their jobs drying up or shipped overseas to people willing to work for less money. The problem is that's just the world we live in now. And isolationist policies harken back to the days of men in caves, which is perhaps why Trump's tweets sound exactly like they were written by a caveman. Toyota Motor said we'll build new plant in Baja, Mexico to build Corolla cars for U.S. No way! Build plant in U.S. or pay big border tax. The only way to ensure that auto companies exist for the benefit of the people is to nationalize them and control them completely, which is the opposite of the deregulation on which Trump has so ardently campaigned. See, I'm spoiled here because I actually have a time machine which allowed me to travel to a press conference on January 21st of this very year to hear what Donald Trump has to say about the auto industry after his inauguration. All right, settle down, you scummy journalists. You're all losers and haters and totally unlikable and fake. What am I going to do about ISIS? I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. What we're going to do is going to be great, and it's going to be huge, and everyone's going to have jobs. All the jobs are coming back. You know, I'm a big fan of Russia. I also like Germany a lot. And I've been inspired by one of their biggest ever leaders. So what we're going to do, I'll tell you. What we're going to do is we're going to take Ford. And we're going to take GM. And we're going to take Chrysler. And we're going to mash them all up. And we're going to make the great American car company. And they're going to have jobs for people. And they're going to have all the jobs. And they're going to make great cars. We're going to make them shaped like bugs. Because bugs are strong. And they're going to have their outside bones on. And we're going to be great. And we're going to name them after famous rock bands. We're going to make a great small car, and we're going to call it the Beetle... Uh, on second thought, they're not American, so we're not going to call them that. We're going to call them the Rolling Stones. We're going to have huge factories churning out Rolling Stones left and right, folks. It's going to be great. I'm also introducing Trump TV, the national news service, and taking over all the media. So while you're all fired, end of conference. Yeah, that doesn't sound familiar at all. Uh, hey, guys, you remember when... Uh, everyone was bitching about Barack Obama and him bailing out the car manufacturers, saving potentially millions of jobs in the process. And now all those same people are praising Trump for toilet tweeting at car manufacturers and conducting backroom deals and making sketchy promises to do the same. There's a word for that. 
Anyway, on a lighter note, now that it's a new year, there are a few interesting cars that we can now import under the 25-year import rule. Um, my pick for the top three cars would be the Ford Escort Cosworth, which is one of the original rally cars. And it has this gigantic like duck bill wing off the back of the roof, and it's just one of those instantly recognizable styling cues that nobody else has ever been able to pull off. And the just car just went like crazy, and it would be this absolute coup if you could get your hands on one of them. Uh, the next is is actually a car you could buy here as the NSX. Uh, you couldn't buy the Type R version, which did go on sale in '92, uh, but um, given the prices of NSXs and how they are inflating like crazy, it may actually be cheaper to import one. And and you would get, potentially get the Type R version, which would be fantastic. Um, the the last is the uh, Lancer Evolution One, which was actually introduced in 1992 as well. And uh, if you're one of those rare people mourning the loss of the Lancer this week, maybe you can console yourself by going out and buying the original Lancer Evolution because uh, it's probably just as good a car, despite being 25 years old. So now uh, I want to move on to the advice uh, segment of the podcast because um, I know that, uh, you know, as a, a car industry uh, knowledgeable guy, um, my listeners might have questions. What's that? Yeah. Um, my producers indicated that uh, there have been no questions sent in because that this is the first show. And yeah, yeah. Um, my producer also asked me to inform the listeners that the producer is in fact, um, myself anyway. Uh, so no advice section, but maybe we'll integrate that into later shows. Um, but the major takeaway from this week with CES in Detroit, um, as far as I can tell, it's further evidence that we're plunging headlong into crossover hell and that there are a bunch of other cars that people won't buy being introduced. The Kia Stinger GT a probably mid $40,000 Kia sedan. A according to the truth about cars, the mid-sized sedan market shrunk by 250,000 vehicles last year. And if the Camry and Accord aren't selling, how the hell is an expensive Kia going to? We also live in a world that literally just killed off the Chevy SS, which is exactly what the Stinger is trying to be, but the Chevy had a better badge and more heritage behind it. Or the new Bronco? All those fanboys moved on decades ago and own FJ Cruisers or Jeep Cherokees or Wranglers, and they won't settle for a warmed-over soft rotor where you can't remove the top or the doors. Speaking of Jeeps, they may be the most daft this week, trying to sell a $100,000 Wagoneer. Whose nostalgia are they trying to play on here? Usually nostalgia requires positive memories of something, which I'm not sure what any Wagoneer owner legitimately has. The Portal, the Faraday Future FF91, and the Divergent Blade, I mean, these things will never see the road. The McLaren the P14 is a pipe dream for everyone, and the rest of are all just crossovers that people will actually buy. I, I really wish I had better news for my first podcast here. So, sorry, guys. Um, we'll move on to our honorable mentions segment. Uh, this is a section where we'll take a look at some of the news that didn't happen this week, but maybe should have. Uh, in further evidence of the authority of our incoming chief executive, 
Ford this week announced that they will be renaming their subcompact Fiesta for fear that its production models will be deported along with the rest of the country's Mexicans. They're, produ- they're conducting an online poll to determine the new name for the small car, and leading the pack right now is Kari McCarface. Uh, voting ends this week. Chevrolet also announced changes to their small car this week with a new trim level for their cruise. The new Ted Cruise Edition will feature a revised satellite navigation system that will accept your destination, start directing you there, and end up sending you in circles until you reach Trump Tower in New York. Admittedly a niche product, Chevy promises that the heater is the most robust they've ever installed in a passenger vehicle, ensuring the Ted Cruz edition will never be short of hot air. TV viewers eagerly anticipating the return of Fifth Gear will be happy to learn that Vicki Butler, Henderson, and company have signed on to do a new show that more appropriately keeps up with the advancements in automotive technology and trends. Called Ninth Gear, the show will focus on testing compact crossovers, and instead of featuring a test track, will instead feature former Formula One driver Tiff Dell performing ritualistic suicide at the end of each show and a reaction to just how dire the automotive scene has become. Finally, Kimi Raikkonen was spotted keeping busy this week during the F1 break, teaching river otters in the American Northwest how to properly prepare and eat crayfish on their tummies. And that's it for this week's Honorable Mentions. Lastly, I'm going to close off uh, each podcast with a call to action. So here is your call to action. Hello, this is Action. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that Victory Motorcycles is closing up shop this week, which is a major bummer. Uh, But there's a really good trend among bikers that I think every driver should pick up, though maybe to a lesser extent. Maybe you've noticed it. Uh, When a biker, no matter what he's riding, passes another biker, no matter what they're riding, they'll give one another a wave or extend a couple fingers from their handlebars in acknowledgement. The saying is, uh, it doesn't matter what you ride, it's that you ride. And that creates a sort of brotherhood among bikers, which is special and, and breaks down barriers between people who otherwise might not have had anything in common. Last year, I was on a plane with a very large French-Canadian man who I noticed was wearing a Harley-Davidson shirt. I asked him what he rode and showed him a photo of my Triumph, and we proceeded to have a friendly hour-long conversation about bikes and customizing and travel and all sorts of things. And this thing never would have happened if we hadn't had that one thing connecting us. Everyone listening to this podcast probably drives something, and we all have that in common. I don't mean that we should start waving to one another on the freeway like some sort of demented, cracked-out lunatic, but that we should try to be good to one another. Back when I started out modifying cars and getting really into them, it was always import versus domestic, and the online flame wars were just truly ridiculous. Nowadays, we have so many greater concerns on our plate, and the whole country, not just the automotive community, is fractured in a serious and possibly irreconcilable way. But that doesn't mean we can't try to be good to one another. We probably have some rough years ahead of us, and we need to remember that there are things we all have in common, and to use that to overcome these barriers and connect with one another in a way that heals our fractures and helps us work together towards building a more cohesive, kind community. So just be good to one another. And with that, I will leave you with the sweet sounds of the Fiat 124 Abarth practicing for the Rally Monte Carlo. Here is your moment of zen.